This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Here's the song that we'd like to do for all the younger set of people, the teenagers and what have you. This one's called Vacation Zone. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and welcome back to another eight weeks of your favorite podcast. Wait a minute, isn't that supposed to say favorite podcaster? Yeah, it must be typo. All right, you may remember that when we left off, Joe's mom had just moved across the country. Someone decided this would be the worst winter ever. I had to go buy a pair of booties for my Ugg slippers and these adorable furry mittens. They just look so great on me. And then we go and take a week off, and now we're back to entertain you with another great episode. Today, we welcome the guy who's going to teach us everything millennials need to know about mortgages, the mortgage quarterback himself, Jeff Van Note. Plus, will you be on the hook for your parents' long-term care stay? We'll talk to the head of retirement research from Carson Wealth, Professor Jamie Hopkins. And now, two guys who are caffeinated and ready for another eight weeks of money fun, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-J. And welcome back. Did you miss us? Well, we missed you. I'm Joe Salci. I average Joe Money on Twitter. And we're kicking off another eight weeks of fun money geekery. And here is the original money geek himself across the card table from me. Again, raring to go, Mr. Other Guy, or as we call him, OG. I like that. The original geek. OG. That totally is the original geek. You should have gotten that Twitter handle. Uh, what it's if okay. it's not the fake, not the fake OG. What if if you want to uh, not follow me on Twitter. Yeah. Cause you tend to say even more spicy stuff over there. I don't really. Yeah. I'm getting worn out. I'm getting worn out on, on social Twitter media, Facebook. I'm getting worn out and I'm not even ever on there, which makes me wonder like the people who are on there. Holy cow. How do you do it? How it's, do you, how do you stay sane? It is a gift. You know, what's like a gift of $450 in your pocket? I do, actually. Yep, I know where this one's going. Heading to magnifymoney.com. For those of you who don't know where that's going, because when you go to Magnify Money, what you'll find is that the average person saves 450 bucks either on higher interest on that savings account, lower fees on the checking account, or looking at CD rates, paying less interest to the man by refinancing your debt, looking at your student loans, yeah, somebody just sent us a letter in and asked, hey, I got a thing from the American Express people on 
they've got this really great savings rate. What do you think? And my response was, go to Magnify Money. And I don't know if Amex's savings rate is really good relative to everybody else's right now. It's so fluid. If you haven't checked out your savings and checking account rates in the last, I don't know, what do you think, six months? Probably you should double check again. We do that a lot of the time on Friday shows and we'll look at the interest rate and the movement just in the last six months, as you know, has been incredible. Yeah. Totally incredible. So stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. If you're going to compare, compare there, compare to switch and save. Thanks also to LinkedIn for supporting stacking Benjamins. LinkedIn jobs makes it easy to get matched with quality candidates who'll make the most sense for your role. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash SB and you'll get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash SB. We got a great show. We got Jeff Van Note going to talk about, we haven't had a guest on talking specifically about how mortgages work, which is why I was really excited when Jeff, who wanted to talk to millennials and first-time homebuyers, but even if you're not a first-time homebuyer, maybe you don't understand everything there is to know about mortgages. I think it's a great way to kick off the eight weeks. It's home buying season. It is. And, uh, Jamie Hopkins from Carson Wealth also talking to mom upstairs. Could you imagine getting a getting a bill for your mom's yes, I do. long-term care? I have this I have this vivid I have this vivid dream all the time. <laughs> it's it's coming. Sometimes it's kind of like real life. We're going to talk about how scary that is, but first we have another headline, so let's get the party started. Hello darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. First headline comes to us from the New York Post. Gertrude actually found this one, our Gertrude who handles a lot of our social media stuff. This is written by Max Knobloch. Did you see this? This is how Americans would spend a, quote, life-changing sum of money. No, I didn't, but I like this plan. I would like a life-changing sum of money, and then I will tell you how I spent it. (laughs) What do you think? Mine will be more of a diary. What do you think is a life-changing sum of money when they talk to a bunch of different millennials? Oh, this is millennials? Uh, $19,000. $19,800. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) That's so awesome. I was was thinking like, okay, my number is 10 million. What do other people think? (laughs) That's the number, the average. It really, that's what they say is life-changing money, yes. 19000 Seizes right. life-changing amount of money in 2019, according to new research. But it gets even better than that. A study exploring American finances found that more than one in five view $5,000 or less as life-changing. Well, I wonder if that has something to do with the whole cash reserve. Most people don't have but 1000 bucks if that in their checking account type of deal, but... Y'all need to have higher goals about life change and stuff because somebody's going to come around and hand you that check for 20000 and then and then you recognize that's not as life-changing as you thought and you would think, well, it might, I should have thought bigger numbers. But it might be because listen to what they, they say that they do with it. What would Americans spend this life-changing sum on should they happen upon it? Rather than throwing money at a vacation, a large purchase, or something frivolous, which is what you think people would do. And by the way, that is what a lot of people do. I say that's what that that is what people would do. This is a research study, so yeah. they're not going to uh, you know, make themselves look like jackwagons. But 51% right, exactly. 51% of Americans said they put the money right into savings. <laughs> Bullshit. 
Okay. Anyway, carry on. What's the, what's the other forty nine percent line about? But this, well, I'll get to what this kind of gets to. Then thirty one percent says that they put it toward credit card debt. Okay, I could I could see that. Thirty percent say, and they must have asked people for like their top three because mm-hmm. these these numbers yeah. don't add so up. We've already those. added past hundred. Yeah, we're about to starting a business is thirty percent. And putting the money into a retirement account, 27%, all made the list of top uses were people to gain a life-changing sum. One-third of millennials surveyed said they put the money toward medical bills. That's also interesting. I think this gets to something that it isn't as much about education as we think it is. And we've talked about this a little bit before when it comes to like the people at the bottom of the financial pyramid and not using a bank. They might mm-hmm. not be doing the right thing with their money, OG. They just know that the bank has screwed them over five times. I'm not going to do that anymore. Instead, I'm going to go do, then they go do something completely horrible, which is they go to, you know, these check cashing places and payday loans and that kind of stuff. But it's partly because they've been chased away by the banks. People know what they should do with their money. They just don't do it. When you ask a research question, people are going to give you a research answer for it. I'd actually like to see a study of what people really do spend that money on. And I, I think anecdotally, we can talk about, you know, all those television programs that are on there about uh, winning the lottery and what happens, or you see the stories of uh, professional athletes, generically what happens to most professional athletes in terms of their, you know, their sizable contracts and that sort of thing. So I'm not entirely sure that the behavior would, uh, would line up, match, match the intent or colloquially, I don't think the carpet matches the drapes. The new survey uh, was conducted by one poll on behalf of SelfLender and found that 56% of Americans have exactly six months of savings or less. 31% of those respondents are on the lower end of six months savings and one in four have exactly six months worth. And it, it goes into how little saving people have, which is uh, very sad. And in our second headline, if you have older relatives, you might want to listen to this because this is something you might not expect. A recent Forbes piece says you might be on the hook for your parents' nursing home cost. And as a guy who's very worried about that, I thought we got to talk to the author of this piece. And I'm so happy he said yes. Walking down the stairs right now, it's our friend, Professor Jamie Hopkins, Director of Retirement Research at Carson Wealth. Jamie, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And yes, I said, uh, I I love talking about this topic, even though not everyone else does. (laughs) Well, and it is. I mean, to your point, it's a topic that people don't talk about enough. And I love talking about it, too, for that reason, because long term care stays happen to far more people than we want to admit. Yeah, I mean, you see some of the stats on that, and I, I don't always like averages. I like ranges of things, but somewhere in that 50 to 70% of all retirees are going to need some form of long-term care. So that's most people. I don't think most people are having candid conversations about this, so we're just not planning for it right today. We're relying on family members. We're not thinking about funding. We're not thinking about controlling where we want the care and the quality of care, and those are big things. That you know, I think a lot of people hear long-term care and immediately think long-term care insurance, it's much broader than that. It's planning around this topic. Yeah, which could involve cash or uh, many different things. Let's talk about this, though. I could get a bill for mom's long-term care stay. Tell me about this. Why would that happen? 
Yeah, so it's on the books in about, I think, 27 or 28 states right now. And these are called filial support laws. They've actually been on the books for a long period of time. And really what they say is certain family members, depending on what state you're in, are responsible for indigent family members' costs. So indigent basically means they've they've run out of money, and now we've got to cover them. And from a public policy sense, this makes a little bit of sense because I always bring up to people like, well, somebody's out of money. And all of a sudden, they're accumulating costs. Does the state cover it, right? Does the nursing home get stuck with it, or does the family members cover it? Well, if the nursing home gets stuck with it, it's kind of a business, then they have to pass that cost on to other people. If the state gets stuck with it, then taxpayers are covering it. So why am I covering your mom's nursing home bill? Why don't you cover your mom's nursing home bill? I mean, so it's at least a debate in the public policy sense, but it's on the book in about 27 states. Pennsylvania, really the only one that's uh, kind of enforced this pretty heavily over the last four or five years, allowing nursing homes to go after family members to recoup costs that they're not getting back from Medicaid or the, the individual's own payments. So there's obviously nursing homes that are kind of the ones driving this on their end saying, hey, we've got to get paid. Yeah. And what we're seeing in other states, even though we haven't seen as many lawsuits, we're getting letters that are sending out the family members saying, hey, we've got to get paid. Now, that could be you just haven't filed your Medicaid application yet. So Medicaid hasn't started paying. Well, if Medicaid starts paying, the nursing home doesn't really care again. But if you didn't file, you didn't get ready, you didn't do that planning, all of a sudden they've got a bill, they're trying to figure out how to get paid, so they've been sending out letters. Um, that's been the big area. It started to, you know, whether you say trickle out or spread out to the wings now um, in some other meaningful ways, though, too. You say in the piece that, uh, and I'll quote you here, opposition would say it's unfair and unjust to require children to cover their their parents' cost. And and I totally agree with that. And on one hand, I can see your point that you don't want to cover mom's long-term care bill, but I'm not mom and I've got my own family. I've got two kids I just put through college trying to get my retirement in order. Tell me about that side of the argument. Yeah, I mean, it's an argument, right? There's pieces on both sides. You say, why am I responsible for mom's care? That's on her. Well, the reality is somebody has to pay for it. And as I said, it's either going to be the nursing home, which means the other people in the nursing home end up paying for it. If we have a loss and it doesn't get paid for, we've got to spread it around. Or if we're on Medicaid or something like that, then all taxpayers are paying for it. And maybe that's the system we want to go to. But we also know right now, like Medicaid's struggling, right? It is a, it is a system that doesn't have the funding it needs. Certain states now, they're spending half their entire state budget on Medicaid alone. Wow. I mean, th- th- that's really shocking. And that's not kind of sustainable in the long run. So I think all of this, though, like the reason that I like these laws is I think it brings up the conversation. I think it kind of can trigger people to act, whether or not it's a good thing. But if you say, hey, if you don't do your planning, your son's going to be on the hook. Let's, okay, maybe I'm going to go do some planning. Well, let's talk about planning. Is there anything I can do to shelter myself from having <laughs> to foot the bill for mom's nursing homestay? Yeah, so we actually had a little bit of this in Pennsylvania. We had some people move their parents out of state. Um, so the reality is these are state laws, meaning that jurisdiction probably only applies if you're in the state where the cost is developed. 
We've only had one case to my uh, recollection that they've actually done a choice of law, and that's what they did. Pennsylvania said, hey, New Jersey law applies because the mom's over in New Jersey, not Pennsylvania. And so that seems to be the going theme. That was kind of the assumption before. So yeah, you could move your move or here you could move out of state too. But if you and your mom are not in the same state, it's going to be a lot harder for uh, these uh, nursing homes to go after you. But I, I will give you kind of one other follow-up on that, which is in that same article. We've actually had uh, children of the parent providing the care at home go after their siblings for support to help pay for oh. mom's care at home. And they won that case too. They they got a, you know, a settlement. Well, they had a settlement from one of the siblings and then they actually won in court against the other one for payment to for home care for mom. That's a really interesting development too because it, it is kind of saying the family unit here is responsible. I mean, that's what the law says. Uh, again, it's not in every state, but about half. It sounds like the best thing to do then, Jamie, what you seem to be inferring is have this discussion discussion with mom early about what the strategy is. Yeah, I mean, that's really what this gets to. The whole thing is we got to do planning ahead of time. So we have to know who is providing care, how it's getting funded. And if one of the children is going to be the caregiver, do they have to take on the full right burden of actually doing the care, leaving their own job and financing it? Or are the kids going to agree to this ahead of time, come up with some arrangement? Because that is our go-to system in the U.S., that the children provide the care at home. That's how the system works. And then once that no longer works, we then ship people out to institutions, which are incredibly expensive. I will link to this piece at uh, Forbes that you wrote on our show notes page at stackybedjamins.com. I'd be remiss while I have you here for a few minutes. You're always working on something creative, man. What, <laughs> what do you got cooking right now? Well, well, today on Twitter, we were arguing about digital asset planning, which is another one I love. I'm, I don't know if you've talked about that one before, but uh, Rufada, there's an old McAfee study from 2013 that says the average American has about $50,000 of digital assets. And people always go, no, that's crazy. And they argue with me. You know, I say, well, if you run a small business, if you lost all your websites, all of your online marketing materials, all access to your emails, your online accounts, what would you pay to get that back? And I think most people actually would probably pay like 50 grand. Like I, I know for sure. I've got four websites. I have Bitcoin. I've got emails. If I lost all of my client emails, I know that's more than a $50,000 loss to me. And that kind of online security, digital asset planning got a lot tougher and to some degree in the last two years. Wow. That's a whole yeah. different... <laughs> We got to have you back to talk about that, man. Yeah. Jamie, thanks for hanging out with us for a few minutes. Yep, absolutely. Big thanks to Jamie for stopping by. You know, OG, it's funny that nobody can talk about this stuff like Jamie does. Imagine if we had somebody else come in and try to talk about long-term care the way that he did or these lawsuits the way that he did. So just like there's one best guest for each segment of our show, there's also the right hire in business. See what I did there? When it's time to make a hire for your small business, naturally you want to find the best person for the jobs and odds are that person's already on LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to get matched with quality candidates who make the most sense for your role. LinkedIn Jobs uses knowledge of both hard skills and soft skills to match you with the people who fit your role the best. And people already come to LinkedIn every day to learn and advance their career. So LinkedIn understands what they're interested in and what they're looking for, which means when you use LinkedIn Jobs to hire somebody, your matches are based on so much more than a resume. It's based on skills and background, sure, but also interest, activities, and passions things they may not share on a job board. 
Matching lets you quickly get a group of the most relevant qualified candidates for your role. That way you can focus on the candidates you want to spend time talking to and make a quality hire you're excited about. Customers rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality discover job opportunities. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash SB and you'll get $50 off your first job post. You're welcome. That's linkedin.com slash SB. Thanks to Jamie again for stopping by. Problematic all the way around. I can't imagine uh, getting a bill for mom's long-term care, but but to Jamie's point, me paying for it because I'm in the family versus the whole neighborhood paying for it that doesn't know mom at all. Does the neighborhood owe mom a long-term care stay? Yeah, this is a really tough thing for families. And it's something that I think from a planning standpoint, if you are an older Gen Xer, I, maybe even if you're a younger Gen Xer, this is one of the questions we ask in, a, in, in our planning meetings. Is there any chance that you might be financially responsible for mom or dad or anybody else in your family? Because if you know that's going to be the case, you can start thinking about how to protect yourself against that now. And, and it might be something as simple as, you know, you're talking about long-term care. You can look at that and say, maybe it's best if we just all buy a long-term care insurance policy for mom because that's $75 a month each yeah, as opposed to 2500 Yeah, four kids splitting it or whatever the number may yeah. be may end yeah. up being much, much uh, better. How about the other one though that he talked about? How about having to sue your brother or sister because you took care of mom? I can't imagine getting a getting a subpoena. I think that might actually happen, but <laughs> <laughs> that might that may be the case in your family. Yeah, I don't know. God bless America. <laughs> On to much more fun news. Uh, this one comes to us from USA Today. How would you like to get a nine hundred eighty thousand dollar refund check? Bam! I I did well according to my tax filing. I did drive one point seven million miles last year at fifty five cents per mile. So I might actually get a refund of nine hundred thousand. But tell me how to get one a little bit more. Uh, well, everyone above board. Yeah, everyone knows that you're. Well, I don't know, but above board, everybody knows you're kidding. But but this I am is kidding. not kidding. I did not drive a million miles last year. This is written by more Darla. Like hundred thousand. It's written by Darla Mercado, Florida man who self prepared his taxes received a nine hundred eighty thousand dollar refund. U.S. attorneys say there are big tax refunds, and then there are nine hundred eighty thousand dollar tax refunds. Ramon Christopher Blanchett of Tampa, Florida, and self described freelancer. Managed to scoop up a $980,000 tax refund after submitting his self-prepared 2016 tax return. He also allegedly claimed that he earned a total of, wait for it, $18,497 in wages. And he had that, a lot of withholdings. And that he'd withheld a million dollars in income tax, according to a January 18th forfeiture complaint filed by the U.S. Attorney's Office. In reality, Blanchett received $2,098 in wages from one employer and 1,399 from another employer. According to the complaint, he withheld no federal income taxes from either the U S attorney's office said in the filing The story was initially reported by the Tampa Bay times. Blanchett could not be reached by CNBC for comment. His contact information was not immediately available and no attorney was listed for him in the U S attorney's complaint, though the massive refund check made it out the door at the IRS. The IRS actually sent him a $980,000 check the tax man's taking steps to get the money back. Thus far, Uncle Sam has managed to seize 
281000 from three bank accounts and a 2016 silver Lexus RC registered in Blanchett's name. So kept 919000 of it in savings and bought a Lexus. Well, that just really goes against everything we just talked about, doesn't it? He actually put, he got a windfall and he put his windfall into the bank where the IRS would never find it. It's so They'll never look there. That's so great. They'll look at my boat first. So how much did you withhold? Uh, put me down for put me down for a million. <laughs> Sir, have you made a million in your lifetime of income? Don't argue with me. Put me down for a million. Can you see the the lady prepping his taxes at Jackson Hewitt there in the front of the Walmart? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. one million. One million. Uh, how many zeros is that? <laughs> I add another one. I wonder if you could. Could you do that now, get a million dollar refund, put it into a margin account, <laughs> buy a million dollars worth of pot stocks and let it go up like 72%. Now you have 72 million. Better yet, you know That'd how these... 707,000% actually, my bad. You know, you know how these companies like Jackson Hewitt or H&R Block or Liberty Tax, you know, these places will do mm-hmm. a refund anticipation loan. Oh yeah, there you go. Imagine this. Imagine her going to to her supervisor. Hey, uh, Janet, listen. Um, he's got he's got nine hundred out there. He's got nine, owe him a million. Got nine hundred eighty thousand coming. He can't wait for it because uh, he put a down payment on the Lexus. So wondering if we could just front him that money. He said he's cool with it being at six percent. <laughs> Don't steal from Uncle Sam. They will find you. Well, that's quite a lesson. Don't fall for these articles either that say, the IRS is the smallest staffed uh, service since 1950. The reality is is, uh, they have computers, and the computers do the math on most of this stuff now, so they know whether or not you're full of crap. It's incredible. Long before a person figures it out. Incredibly automated, and they might have an algorithm or two working on their behalf. Maybe. That's that's one lesson. I think the lesson from uh, Professor Hopkins... Have that talk ahead of time in the family about long-term care. And then uh, if your life-changing amount is $5,000, I think the vast majority, and certainly not everybody, but the vast majority of people listening to the show may have had that amount of money slip through their fingers in the last couple of years. Imagine if you just shored up. Is that a phrase, OG? Shored up? Oh, yeah. Could be. Imagine if you shored that up and... uh, Gave yourself a life-changing amount of money. Well, Jeff Van Noe, a guy who's worked in the mortgage business since he was a teenager because his dad was also in the mortgage business. There are two types of mortgage professionals that I've talked to in uh, my time, not just as a podcaster, but also when I was a financial planner. There are people that know the ins and outs because they have studied it all on paper. And there are people who have worked with lots and lots and lots of people. And we'll put uh, Jeff in the former group. Jeff's a guy who knows a lot about mortgages because he's lived it. That's who we want to talk to on the show. Somebody who's been there and done it. The cool thing is he's got the experience of a 70-year-old and he's a millennial. Let's say hi to the mortgage quarterback, Jeff Van Note.
And coming down to the basement, it's the mortgage quarterback himself, Mr. Jeff Van Note. How are you, man? Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me. I'm not sure if you've ever uh, seen Notre Dame walk out of the tunnel, but walking down the stairs to this basement is kind of like, you know, you got to slap the play like a champion today thing in order to enter. <laughs> I wonder why you were slapping the top of the, the top of the <laughs> stairs as you came down. That's actually a funny story. You're the mortgage quarterback, and a lot of people just think that means you quarterback mortgages, but there's a longer story than that. It's a much longer story, and uh, usually we don't have enough time to detail all of it, but um, from quarterback to mortgage quarterback and you know the 20 year run it's been on you were a college football quarterback for for which school i actually didn't play quarterback in high school or college i played quarterback in the pop warner going into my uh, <laughs> freshman year in high school gotcha and i had to find a way to get on the field so i moved i bounced around if you remember cordell stort from the pittsburgh steelers they called him slash so yeah. i'm like well listen i can play quarterback but there's three guys ahead of me so i'm gonna play running back i'll play receiver listen i'll play wherever Wherever I can get on the field, however I can get on the field, you put me at that position. And I wound up just, you know, really taking off as a possession slot receiver. And I wound up playing my uh, college football at Fordham University in the Bronx. That's been kind of the story of your career. And I think it's a good lesson. Someday we'll just have you on as a motivational speaker. But just doing what it takes to get on the field, yeah. I think, is half of what it takes to win in life. Yeah, listen, I think that's the battle. I think, you know, I know sports as well as most, at least playing them. I play that you know, really the highest level under pro. And my quarterback was a guy by the name of John Skelton, who played for the Arizona Cardinals back you know, a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And when he came in, everyone knew he, he had a big arm. He was going to play, you know, pretty much right away. I'm like, you know what? I want to play quarterback. You know, at the time, the running quarterback was really just coming into college football, like the Vince Youngs of the world. Yeah. If you remember Vince Young. Sure. And uh, so my, my offense coordinator called me in one day and was like, hey, listen, man, he's like, um, we need you to quarterback in a JV game. And I'm like, hey, that's going to be super fun. You know, so I wore number 83 in college and uh, I was the punter. So I remember it was like fourth and 10 one time. And I went to the slot and I was like, listen, you know, I need you to run a dig over the middle. He's like, yeah, but coach didn't call that play. I'm like, no, but listen, they're going to c- c- try and come block me because I'm not the real punter. So we wound up running a fake punt and wound up going for a touchdown. So it was a pretty <laughs> cool story. <laughs> but well, I just had to adapt on the fly. You know, the, the defense ran a certain play and I knew it and we uh, we beat him. <laughs> what would have happened if that had gone bad, though? What would the coach have said? I mean, it's not like I was a starting quarterback anyway. So what are they going to do? <laughs> yeah. I, I rode the bench my whole, you know, pretty much college career. So what are they going to do? <laughs> Rebench me? <laughs> managing the risk. Of the situation. It, you know? I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's help people manage risk uh, when it comes to their mortgages, because there's a lot of people out there that might not know how the mortgage process works. I know from my time as a financial planner, like just taking people through the mortgage process, they'd smile and nod and act like they knew all the terms. And then we'd start digging in and they didn't know much. So let's start from the beginning. What's the biggest myth when it comes to mortgages that you have to help people dispel all the time? Man, there's so many of them. And I'd say like there's probably a lot of front runners. The number one myth that I would say right now that's impacting consumers is the need for a large down payment, 20%, 25%. When the market's competitive, people want that 20, 25% down payment. When I say people, I usually mean realtors, sellers. So then that way, if the property doesn't appraise for the correct purchase price, so usually you're getting to bidding wars, you know, properties sell for more than the ask price. If the property under appraises and you're only putting a small down payment, three and a half or 5% down, you know, then you don't have enough money to pay the shortage of what the actual value is versus what you're paying for it. 
When you talk about 20, 25% down, my head immediately goes to this thing called PMI. The sure. very first thing we should talk about is what the hell is PMI? What, is that, what does that even mean for people that don't know? PMI, there's two different types of PMI. There's FHA mortgage insurance, which is PMI. FHA, which again, 95% of people in the real estate world don't know. FHA is actually a mortgage insurer. Okay, Back after the Great Depression, the federal government said we need to get low-income people into low-income housings with low down payment. So we're going to insure these mortgages with 3.5% of the purchase price down. So that's federal mortgage insurance. Because somebody was smart out there, they came out with private mortgage insurance, right? Private mortgage insurance is for a conventional loan product, not an FHA loan product. And PMI on a conventional loan only lasts for a certain duration, whereas FHA mortgage insurance lasts for a long period of time. Now, whether you put 20% down, 3.5% down, or 90% down for an FHA mortgage, you have FHA mortgage insurance for the entire period of the loan until you refinance out. Now, on conventional mortgage insurance, which is really the driving force in the market right now, if you put 5% down or 10% down, PMI covers the difference, insures the lender against losses down to that 80% threshold. So rather than you putting 20% down, they say, okay, put 10% down, but pay monthly PMI on the 10% loan balance of the difference. So if somebody can put 20% down, they probably then, I would imagine, then should to avoid this because this insurance doesn't help you at all. It just helps the bank cover, yeah. you know, the, the what if you run out on the loan? What I can tell you is this, you know, living through the 2008 and being 20, 21 years old when that market blew, if you will, about a decade ago. But you were um, already but you were already working in the industry for people who don't know. So you were already <laughs> working in the industry then. And, and I think your dad was in the industry, too, right? Yeah, my dad's been in the business since the late 70s. Yeah. Um, with me and you know his company, he's been. I'm not gonna. He's still there, active. But getting back to the PMI point, yeah. So I was 20, 21 years old, seeing the aftermath, if you will. So I came into it when the falling knife, if you will, really just began falling. And PMI companies, if you look at you know the stock prices, the track records, they were the first to go out because if someone did put 10% down and the market dropped 20%. They were responsible for the first 10% of losses, yeah. and they were the ones that were trying to avoid paying, like every other insurance company, they were trying to avoid paying the claims. So in my opinion, coming from now a 32-year-old with 12 years of full, really, life experience in the street game of mortgages and seeing what happened back then, I believe PMI is the biggest BS that exists. Yeah. And I think that there should be, and there are lenders out there right now that are doing away with PMI, which are called portfolio lenders where you go to a local bank or you know a certain servicing company and they'll let you put 10% down. They give you a little bit of a higher rate to adjust for that risk, but at least you're still getting the mortgage interest deduction rather than paying PMI and not getting any benefit for it. When we talk about interest rates, a lot of people, they'll go and they'll look at interest rates at some website or you know back in the day, they go to the newspaper. I remember talking to a woman in the mortgage industry back in the late 90s and she said, Joe, the newspaper is everybody's best lie. Is that still the case if I go to the newspaper, to a website, and I'm looking at different interest rates? You're going to get hit one way or another, right? It's just a matter of where you get hit. And we'll dive into that a little bit deeper. But yeah, to answer your question, people put their best shot out there. Kind of like when you look at somebody's Facebook profile or Instagram profile, they're only going to show you the most beautiful edited picture. And that's what banks do. The banks say, hey. The best vacation you've ever had goes on and, Facebook. And it's every day. Yeah, we're going to keep going on vacation, you know, <laughs> year-round vacation. So banks say, hey, look here. 
we're going to highlight our best interest rate. And then a very small asterisk, black and white print, it says, in order to obtain this rate, you must have 25% down. You must pay your own closing costs. You must pay a 1% origination fee or a 1% discount fee, a $2,000 application fee, you know, a commitment fee, an interest rate lock-in agreement fee. So they're still getting you. And my problem has always been is it's kind of bullshit and it sucks for consumers because consumers already don't know. And that's really a preface on why I wrote my book because I'm like, listen, everyone I speak to, I have to spend the first call it hour or so, depending on the level of you know education and wherewithal and care for the mortgage, right? Most people are like, hey, just get me a mortgage. I just want to get a mortgage. Get Other done, people right? are like, no, 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 I want to know why I'm paying this $3 fee. People didn't get hurt because of real estate. People got hurt because of over leveraging and borrowing. Yeah. Banks, well, you've already seen this as a mortgage guy. Banks will give you a lot more money than you can really afford. Yeah. And sometimes I agree with that. Sometimes I don't agree with that. I think it comes down to the borrower's experience and execution. Um, mm-hmm. If somebody's able to, I'll give you a perfect example. Like, Let's say you have somebody who is a DJ, right? And they show income of $60,000 a year, but they come to you and they're like, listen, I write off a lot of my expenses. I get paid cash sometimes. I'm like, all right, I know you. I respect you. Your credit's reasonable. You don't have any judgments, collections. Like you look like a solid human being. You have some money in the bank. I would kind of push the federal lending limits, right? Higher qualification ratios because I know you have undisclosed, undocumented income. And that's one of the compensating factors. Where I have a problem is you, know, you have a, a nine to five job that gets $120,000 your salary um, with inflation, you know, maxing out his guidelines. If something goes wrong with the house or repairs needed, if he's buying a multifamily, there's a vacancy or, you know, he's never really had life experience or he has student loans coming due or whatever the case may be, the ultimate variables. I have a problem with exceeding certain ratios for people that are on a straight fixed income, regardless of what the salary is. I've had I've had so many self-employed people, to your point, that have big time struggle getting a mortgage, just yep. big time struggle just because of the way that they get paid and banks don't understand it or don't want to understand it or or whatever the deal is. I think there also is a difference between somebody who's a professional, like you work with some people that are professionals, they flip houses, they do that type of stuff. Like those people using high amounts of leverage, I think that's okay because they know what they're getting into. Like it's not their first rodeo, but if it's your first house and you can't put any money down, maybe right. you should re-examine whether or not you can really afford the house. That's a great point. And, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about how I'm going to reply constructively to that because it's like anything else, you know, unless you know the context of the deal or if you know the person in the deal, there are certain things to look for. And I think that whenever you're a borrower, you think that the person with the money is in control and they are. Once the person or the bank gives you the money, now you have the money, you have the home, now you're fully in control. So I look at it from both perspectives because I've borrowed millions of dollars and I've lent over a half a billion dollars between residential and commercial mortgages in the past 10 years in the New York City high balance, you know, big, big ticket arena, right? Um, I've seen all walks of life. I've seen the scammers of the world. Then I've seen obviously, you know, the Fortune 500 CEOs that we've done loans for. And it really comes down to integrity of the person. So I'm not a credit score driven person. What I mean by that is if you come to me and I look at your credit report, you know, if you have three medical collections, for example, because the insurance companies didn't pay and you never got the mail or you changed addresses and your score is 500, I hold zero value to that. Now, if you come to me and you have 
three personal loans, two car loans, 15 late payments, behind on child support, and you're changing jobs consistently, might be a character flaw or something in there where you're like, you need to get your life together. So I don't think people, if you take the veterans, for example, they're able to put 0% down and get a loan with no mortgage insurance. I think that's commendable. So I believe skin in the game is important so people don't walk away. But with that being said, if people have a good track record and they just don't have the ability to save, but they have a nice 401k or they have an IRA or a life insurance policy, that person might be a good risk if their track record shows that they're a good person. That's a good point, Jeff, because I know also that a lot of times retired people have trouble getting loans because they don't have income stream. They got these big portfolios, but the bank often wants to see stuff. So to your point, again, a lot of the criteria they use, you got to look a little further. You talked about credit score. How easy is it to raise somebody's credit score over a short amount of time? I'm sure you've had to help somebody qualify for a loan where maybe they were going to be marginal risk and then turn them into a better risk. What are some of the things people can do to get that score up quickly? So that's a great point. And the myth of like, yeah, your credit score is going to drop 20 points. It's not. Your credit score might drop a point or two because it looks like you're shopping for credit if you have numerous inquiries. But I can't truly help you unless I have today's accurate report. Now, if I need to get it up to a certain number, let's say they're at a 550 and I need 580, um, we usually refer them to our credit company we're partners with and have them run a credit simulator. And the credit simulator tells what exact balances need to be showing on the report, whether it's paying down balances, raising balances, and also the duration of which the balances have to sit in order to achieve a certain score. Back in the day, there was zero credit score requirement. I say back in the day, I could tell you that, you know, I got into the business in 2007 full time. FHA was going down to a 500 credit score. I was able to close people's loans down to a 500 credit score. Back in the 80s, there was a zero credit score requirement. You didn't have to have credit to obtain a mortgage. You got, by the way, not to cut you up, but you were working a lot with families. Mm -hmm. At, At that point in your career, you talk about this in your book, working with families that a lot of mortgage people did not want to work with. And it's funny in your book, you're asking, how come more people aren't here? And they're like, well, they usually start here and then they go into better neighborhoods, work with bigger loans and stuff like that. Yeah. I think that people don't take the time to fully understand lending. They just focus on the money, the short-term crack. That's what I found interesting about your book, Jeff, was that, you know, there, there might be people listening going, well, if somebody's got a 500 credit score, why the hell they're buying a house? And I think what a lot of those people that might be thinking that don't understand is a lot of people don't understand how the system works. They don't understand how the game works. I worked with people that made a quarter million dollars a year and didn't pay their bills on time. And they had had horrible credit, but but you could easily give them a big house and they would make the mortgage payment on time. Like that, that was the payment that they got because they wanted to keep their house. It's, it's, it's amazing how much uh, education changes the game for a lot of people. Let's go back to stuff that we can control. Mortgage sure. fees, right? I like it when I've gotten mortgages in the past to request the stuff a day before so I can read through it. As you know, being in the business, a lot of people balk at that. They're like, oh, we can't get it ready a day before. And that's, by the way, I think it's just disorganization and people not having their crap together. People but, not doing their jobs properly. Yes, sure. exactly. So I like looking through all those fees, but but which which fees are the ones that are negotiable? Which fees are not negotiable when it comes to a mortgage? 
I think every fee is negotiable, truly. There are some set fees. There's always some wiggle room. I yeah, always I think call... that some of those taxes, I mean, that are on there, people, I've had people before say, well, can I get that tax lower? Well, no. I mean, you can you can go to your state and maybe <laughs> vote. You're other... talking to the wrong person. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> exactly. Vote other people in, but I think yeah. a lot of people don't know that part of the game. But some of these other like origination fees, uh, there's one, appraisal fees, like how many of those are negotiable? So I always believe in even myself when I shop and I'm not a big shopper. Like I, I'm, a, I'm a relationship guy. So yeah. if I know you like you or seem to trust you, I'm going to give you my business until you give me a reason not to or until someone else comes along that earns my business. Every fee is negotiable, but there's fair and reasonable fees. Now, what people don't understand is banking is such a roller coaster that if your credit score drops from, again, 680 to 679, there's a chance that there's no money in the deal and you have to pay a fee just to get a rate. So the problem is there's no transparency in that. And people hear points or fees added on at the last second. So many horror stories that they think they're getting screwed over when it's like, no, listen, like your credit score dropped. No lender in the market wants your loan in order to get your loan. It's actually costing the bank a fee to deliver this loan. But again, about three years ago, uh, 2015, a zero origination fee, zero fee, because every bank from Wells Fargo, Chase, Bank of America, all the way to your local, you know, mortgage lender still was charging points, charged a minimum three ninety nine application fee. And I said, you know what? I'm going to eat this fee. I'm going to waive every single fee. I'm going to make three ninety nine or whatever the dollar amount came out to less per loan. But I'm going to do an extra five loans per month. That year, I closed like, I don't know, 30 something million dollars just in residential purchase origination business because people are like, you know what? Why pay a fee if I don't have to? And obviously, the market rules change everything. But if I was to get back into the origination residential business today, which never know what's down the road, I would actually change my model to if you want to do business with me, you need to pay me a thousand dollar application fee that's refundable upon closing because it takes people away from shopping and it makes them fully commit to you. So an attorney, a doctor, everyone takes some type of deposit. And if you're a true professional and you're great at what you do, you should have that level of security so they don't get sold the hope and a dream by the next Joe, Dick, or Harry that's going to lie to them. That's so funny. There's people screaming at their device when they hear that right now. But but what's funny is a guy that was a financial planner for a long time. That's a whole different episode, Jeff. I mean, that because there's so many people that are half in the transaction yep. and, and you really need everybody with both feet at the table. I like the yep. fact that it's refundable. Hey, listen, we get through this. We get Perfect. through this, you'll get your money back, but we need to, we need to get this thing done. And oh my, but, but people shoot themselves in the foot all the time by being half there. Yep. And it drives me, drives me crazy. Uh, the book is the mortgage playbook for millennials. Know the rules before you play the game. As you can hear from Jeff, everybody, he, uh, he's uh, slightly direct. He, and the book is exactly the same. What you need to know when you go into a mortgage transaction, where can everybody get this, Jeff? Sure. So it's on Amazon. Um, you can just Google or search the mortgage playbook for millennials on Amazon and purchase it. Listen, again, it's for the person that really wants to learn. It's not for the person that wants to be half in, half out. You know, everything I've ever done in life, I've gotten to levels and done things a lot of people haven't done at early ages because I've always gone all in. If people want to talk to you, how do they find you? Sure. Um, so I'm big on social media. On Instagram, it's at the mortgage quarterback. My personal email is the mortgage quarterback at gmail.com. 
I'm super friendly. Like, listen, if you want to text me some of the questions, advice, you know, you have some scenario, if you're looking to maybe think about getting in the business, I wrote the book to truly help people and to truly help the younger generations, high school and college kids really get into the game of real estate the safe way. If you're walking the dog or you are um, on your morning commute or evening commute or wherever, we've got you covered. Uh, Richie and I, our producer, will have all of Jeff's links on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Jeff, man, thanks a ton, man, for hanging out with us and educating us on mortgages. I appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Joe. appreciate it. Hey, listen, I just have a little quick tidbit. I think that you guys should uh, incorporate the song. It's all about the Benjamins and some type of <laughs> intro or something like that. You know, I was thinking about doing some type of walkthrough when I was coming down your stairs, you know, have me, that's my intro song. <laughs> we got to get, we got to, we got to talk to P. Diddy about the rights. You know, that's I think, a, I think he'd appreciate you put, featuring him on here. <laughs> <laughs> Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today I'm racing to get Joe's mom's task list done. The woman is just insatiable. Listen to these items that she just keeps piling on. Pick up foamy beverages for the big game tonight. Take a nap so you're rested before dinner. And here's the kicker. Read the sports section of the newspaper so I can talk sports later. My God, this woman is seriously hounding me while I have much bigger priorities like washing the windows and cleaning the silverware. How am I supposed to keep up with all this? Well, that and deliver your trivia. I'm going to do that first. You know what? Let's just let's just get right to it. How about this little gem today to celebrate the Alaskan classic Iditarod Day? What's the meaning if you receive a red lantern after you finish the Iditarod race? I'll be back with the answer in just a moment. Thanks to Magnify Money for supporting Stacking Benjamins. You know, it is funny. There's a reason why Magnify Money has been our sponsor for so long, and that's because we love what they do. And I love that the longer they sponsor the show, the more we seem to be able to help them get the word out that this is the best place to compare, ditch, switch, and save. And in fact, when you look at interest rates on savings accounts, and we see this question all over the place, what's the best interest on a savings account? I love it when other people say, why don't you check Magnify Money? Because Magnify Money is where you can compare over 92% of all the things available on the internet. If you've never checked online banks at all, you're going to be even more surprised than Magnify Money. You might want somebody to have the smelling salts nearby because you're going to flip. You're going to go, you know what? FDIC says right now that the average interest rate on a savings account is 0.06%. Yet there are plenty of them well over 2% right now at magnifymoney.com. So whether it's for a checking account or a savings account, whether it's to stop paying so much interest to the man to find lower cost loans, whether they're student loans, consolidation loans, lower cost credit cards, or if you pay your debt in full, it could even be reward points, all that and more. MagnifyMoney.com. Use our link to tell Nick and the team that we sent you stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and welcome back to today's trivia. Today, I asked you this question because it's, of course, Iditarod Day. What does it mean if you receive a red lantern after finishing the Iditarod race? The answer? Well, the tradition, which started in 1953 as a joke, goes like this. You receive a red lantern after finishing the race in last place. But after a few decades, the red lantern has become a symbol of perseverance and fortitude. As Joe's mom says... Way to turn that frown upside down, people. See ya!
Big thanks to Jeff Van Note for coming down to the basement. There is so much to know about mortgages. And yet, I think the process, OG, is a little like riding a bike. Once you know how mortgages work, it's not that difficult. But I still remember buying my first house and I felt like, man, it was an an uphill battle to make sure I understood all the finer points. Yeah, it goes well beyond just interest rate and points. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends over at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value most. By the way, we ask people in our Facebook group what they value most. And if you want to hang out with us in our basement Facebook group, it's the Stacky Benjamins basement, stackybenjamins.com forward slash basement gets you there because it's a long URL. And Sean says, my lawn and kids not being on or near it. Hashtag getting old. Nice. (laughs) I like that one. Two things he values. It always amazes me. We have this one person in our, in our old neighborhood back in Texas who always put up these little flags like along, along the road, like in front of their lawn. They didn't want anybody to park. Like I thought if somebody did number one, our neighborhood wasn't a place where a lot of people would park. And number two, if people did park there, like one foot of your lawn might have a tire thing. Like I never, I don't know. That seemed a little, uh, little, uh, little overkill. Yeah. A little grumpy, a little Sean ish. We'll say since Sean said this one seemed a little like him. It's actually Sean, your loved ones and your time. But if you're not redoing the lawn, you've got more time for your loved ones and your time. And that's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now and you'll get a free quote. Their application is simple. It's online. You get an instant coverage decision, not like sitting with an insurance agent for four hours while they ask you a bunch of stuff that, heck, they can already get from the Russians. <laughs> Their prices are affordable and the policies are issued by Mass Mutual, a more than 160 year old insurer. And today, we got a question from Anonymous. Who would name their kid Anonymous? It's a terrible name. Yeah. Hello, Anonymous. Hey, guys. Michael here. I am 27 years old. I have about 5000 in my savings and currently using Acorns to invest, uh, similar to Robinhood. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. I'm not investing much in my Acorns account. It's maybe $500. I'm just getting my feet wet. And my question to you is, is there something that I should be doing more with that money that's in my savings? Is, is that something that I should keep there as an emergency fund? Or would you recommend maybe taking a bigger chunk of that out to kind of get my investment funds growing? Just looking for some guidance and appreciate anything you uh, have to give me. Thanks. Well, well, there, there Michael goes, outs himself right away. On my screen, it says... Maybe, an, maybe it's his last name. Michael Anonymous. Yes. Or maybe it's Animus. I don't, I don't know. What it could, we do be, have it could be his first name. Anonymous Michael, like George Michael. It could, it could be. Thanks for the question. And by the way, we had uh, Colton Dillon from Acorns on the show back when they were first kicking off Acorns. So if you just go to stackybedjamins.com, if you want to hear more about Acorns, I don't think it's actually a lot like Robin Hood, Michael, but I get that they're both online. But go back and listen to... Both, they're both apps yes. on my phone, go, so they're very similar. Yeah, go back and listen to uh, that rather than us go into the differences. Uh, but stackybedjamins.com and in the search feature, just put in 
Acorns app and you'll you'll see us talk to them for about 10 minutes about how it works. Uh, but what do you think? 5,000 in cash and a little bit into Acorns, OG. Never in a million years should you tear down the basement or the foundation of your house to build a roof or a second floor. It's just everybody wants to do the cool stuff. You can't until you have all the other stuff done correctly to begin with. Everybody wants to do all of the cool stuff when it comes to investing and saving. And we want to build rocket ships to to go across the street. You got to have a cash reserve. Because imagine if you don't have a cash reserve and then you lose your job. Now what are you going to do? Well, you're going to take it out of your investment account because you need the money to pay rent or food during the period of time where you're unemployed, which is what a cash reserve is for. And now maybe further assume that, I don't know, Maybe you got an unemployed or laid off at the same time the market was taking a big giant crap because that's kind of sort of when those things happen. Everything happens bad at the same time. So now your $5,000 investment account is now worth $3,800 because it's gone down a whole bunch. And now you got to take it out. And now instead of having five months worth of rent payments in the bank, you have three months of rent payments in the bank and a little bit of food. And now you have to go in credit card debt for the other $1,200 before you find a job. And now you have to start all over again. Just build it the right way. It will. T- it seems like it takes forever. And I know when I talk to people about this stuff, they go, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get to 3 million. Never going to get to 5 million. I'm never going to get to 2.5 million. Now I've got 80,000. It's going to take me forever. No, not going to take forever. It'll take 20 years. It reminds me of that. Uh, Do you ever see um, Central Intelligence? <laughs> Which, it is funny, by the way, how little love that movie has gotten and how many times, by the way, you and I have actually talked about this. It's also funny, your lack of memory on this topic, because we bring up central intelligence <laughs> quite often. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't really pay attention to anything you say, so it's not lack of memory. I just I just zone out is <laughs> a more accurate statement whenever you're talking. What were we talking about? What did you say? You said something about uh, I'm intelligent. Is that what you said? Central intelligence. Centrally intelligent. Yes, that's me. But um, it reminds me of that or, okay, how about the famous Chinese proverb? The whole thing about, well, my gosh, how did you transform your body? You know, in the movie, he was this kind of overweight, out of shape, pudgy 18-year-old. And when they meet again 20 years later, he's the rock. You know, he's Dwayne Johnson. He's just ripped. He's cut up. And he goes, how did you do this? He goes, I was super simple. All I did was work out six hours every day for the last 20 years and never miss a day. <laughs> you know, and that's true when it comes to this stuff, too. When it comes to, you know, investing, I was just talking to a client a couple of di- uh, weeks ago, very successful. I was genuinely happy and impressed with everything that they had done up to this point. And I said, well, you know what? How did you do all this? I mean, I'm genuinely curious how did you manage to squirrel away $3 million, you know, in your early 50s? Oh, I just uh, saved a lot of money every year for every day since I started working after college. You know, to, 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 to him, it was a very simple thing because it is simple, but we try to make it super, super, super complex by going, yeah, I think I should get an extra 500 bucks a year of returns on my Acorns account because I'm going to put my cash reserve in there. And then you blow the whole thing up when something goes wrong. So anyways, no, keep your cash reserve where it is. Arguably, your cash reserve should be two or three times that amount, probably. Yeah, right. That's what I was thinking. 
Back to your point about Dwayne Johnson, about working out, and now he's working on, you know, maybe a little definition here, a little thing there, right? But he can do that because he's got the solid foundation. People that know me a little bit know that I really like, I like board games. And a lot of the games, yeah, a lot of the games you play are engine building games, right? I mean, most people have played even Monopoly and you don't start off by going, yeah, I want to build a hotel on Park Place. The first thing you got to do is make sure is build this engine that's able to support that hotel. A lot of games work that way. And it's funny how initially it feels like it's forever, but in every one of these board games, OG, it speeds up in a hurry. And you and I both know that that when you finally got traction in your life and you and I have also previously discussed how frustrating our financial pictures were way back in the day when you gain traction after you build a foundation because you have that foundation it goes very fast so you have to go very slow in the beginning to go very fast in life i think yep don't get greedy keep your cash reserve where it is great question michael anonymous We also get uh, letters down here in the basement, and Doug just handed us this one from Alan. Alan says, my daughter's 16, and I've been saving $100 a month since she was born for a college fund. Since I'm already in the habit, I'd like to continue saving $100 per month for her in a Roth IRA once she graduates high school. I was wondering where the best place to start the account would be, Alan. Great question, Alan. I like this uh, gift of $100 a month. And you know what, OG? I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna go first because there's a couple of things going on here. I think it's easier to look at where the wrong places are, Alan, because everybody starts with oh, I got to make the perfect decision. Believe it or not, there isn't one, but there are a lot of bad decisions. So we start off with when does your daughter want the money, and then we go backwards to the time frame that makes sense. So thinking about this as retirement money. If she graduates from high school and she's 18 years old, we're looking at money for, you know, maybe 40 years from now. So if that's the case, we're going to look at assets that historically have done well over a 40-year time frame. Historically, the most consistent of those two that have beaten the pants off inflation have been stocks and real estate, meaning a mutual fund or an exchange-traded fund or Real estate. Now you can't buy real estate with hundred bucks, but you can buy a REIT uh, investment. There are publicly traded uh, mutual funds that trade real estate. You could do something like that. So I would look at one of the two of those as the place to start. Now brokerage firm. Yeah, doesn't matter. Pick yeah. whichever one you want. Yeah, go back to a discussion that OG and I had the last Wednesday before the before the break, and uh, and and yeah, pick one and go. Yeah, they're all going to be they're all going to be fine when it comes to the the role of being a custodian. As far as the which funds to pick, I kind of like Joe's approach here of let's find the things not to do. Things like don't go to the bank and open it because that's not going to be a long term forty year time horizon type of investment account. The other thing that I think is important to note here is there's no magical switch that happens when you turn eighteen that allows you or unallows you to put money into a Roth IRA. You know, I don't want to gloss over that because he said, hey, when my daughter graduates high school, I want to put money in a Roth. High school and Roths have nothing to do with one another. She has to have earned income to be able to contribute to a Roth. So probably has a side job of some kind, you know, works at the restaurant or something. And that's fine. You can do that as long as she has earned income. You can contribute up to her earned income amount or $6,000. But if she doesn't have any work, if she's 
just focusing on school, then, you know, you can't do the Roth at all. In any event, I like the idea of thinking about the things not to do and then just pick one thing and then don't ever change it. Great point about the income, because if she doesn't have any income, this whole thing's... Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. That just makes it so much easier. We see so many people freeze because they're looking for the perfect investment. So they go online and you start reading these 18 investments that are great in 2019. (laughs) Yeah. And then they change in 2019, in 2020. Right. The fifth one will make you LOL. (laughs) Oh, that's a different list. That's the celebrity crushes you didn't know you had or something. Fifth one will make you go, wow, good stuff. Or the the list I saw the other day of top small cap growth funds in the last six months ranked by return. Wow. Shoot me now. Wow. You know, it's funny. I'm not a big golfer, but I was talking to somebody who is good at golf and you know what they, what they said, and this, this may be a good analogy too. Amateur golfers try to make the perfect shot. Mm -hmm. Pro golfers or very good amateur golfers spend most of their time at first learning how to stay out of trouble. Yeah. And once they learn how to not blow themselves up, then they do better. And I think that's the same approach we should use with investing. If you look at the things that don't make sense and stick with the tried and true stuff, you're going to do fantastic. And then we start splitting little hairs about which one's better. You know, do- but I like I like trading forex <laughs> options at two thirty in the morning on my interactive brokers account. That might Alan be the wrong one, by the way. Just don't do that. Just one. FYI, unless it's Brazil, then you should go for it. The real? Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> well, it's really important to hedge that against the. Uh, well, yo, you use the the yen. See, I'm not a big fan of that. I I'm a big fan of the triple play. I, well, I call it the triple play. It's the euro, real, and the um, what's the, what do they do in Russia? The ruble. They still do rubles in Russia. I don't even know. I thought they just trade like bars of gold now. Well, it's mostly vodka, vodka, eggs, and eggs and and, and bread, potatoes. <laughs> right. Oh, that's so bad. Thanks for the question, Alan. If you've got a question for the show, head to stackingbenjamins.com at the top of the page. You'll see all the ways to interface with us. Of course, the quickest way and the way that you end up with some of our awesome, just so comfortable these shirts. We, we, we talk about how fun the greatest money show on earth t-shirt is. OG, we never talk about how comfortable it is. It is a super duper comfortable shirt. If you want to look at, we've got a new design, by the way, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash shirts. You'll see those. Anyway, Michael Anonymous is taking on one of those because he called the Haven Lifeline. All right, that's going to do it for today. Two last things. Thanks to everybody who's left a review of our podcast that helps people know exactly what they're getting into. It's strange, I think, for people listening to a show that's trying to be the first word in personal finance instead of the last word. A show that's trying to introduce you to other people and mm-hmm. lots of different concepts instead of trying to give you the one way to do everything. It's my way or the highway. Right, right. This was a hilarious one. Five stars, meh. <laughs> All capitals. <laughs> oh, I love that one from Sam uh, NH. Must be Sam, New Hampshire. Just a couple of bros trying to be funny. I'm not even Canadian. Like, I don't even know what any of that, that, that means, Sam, but that is very funny. Uh, th- thanks. Thanks for the review. Mom just shook her head and stuck that on the fridge because we asked her to. But if you, if you 
have a review for the show that might be a little more coherent than uh, Sam and H's is, that would be, that'd be fantastic. Also, and last, uh, OG and his firm are taking new clients this time of year. And if you want to have better financial planning help in your corner, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG. And that's the first step to better financial planning. All right. That's going to do it for today, guys. Take it from here, Doug. What should we have learned on this year podcast? Well, Joe, today, if they were paying attention, here's what they could have learned. First, take some advice from Jeff Van Note, the mortgage quarterback. Don't just look at the interest rate when comparing mortgages. The truth lies between the interest rate and the fees the lender is charging. Second, have aging parents or relatives. It might be a great idea to have a discussion around long-term care beforehand so you aren't stuck with an ugly bill later. But the big lesson... Don't question Joe's mom when she says, eat lots of ice cream at dessert so nobody feels bad about having seconds. She'll just make you eat even more. She's a tyrant, I say. Special thanks to Jeff Van Note for joining us today. You'll find his book, The Mortgage Playbook for Millennials, on Amazon.com. Oh, and want to use our link and help the show? You'll find it on the show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Thanks also to Professor Jamie Hopkins for stopping by. We'll link to his piece on Forbes on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. This show was created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I do not like computer jokes. Not one bit. SB Podcast may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Hey Joe, how do we get everybody to start calling me Professor Doug? That's pretty good. I like the sound of that. When I lived in Texas, we had lots of run-ins with wildlife. I thought you were going to talk, talk about the stories where you had lots of run-ins with the law. With the law. Uh, but just, I guess that's a different... Uh, just topic. a good old boy. Never meaning no harm. Never meaning no harm. Yes. Making our way the only way we know how. But that's mm-hmm. just a little bit more than the law would allow. Just a little. Impressive that you know that whole thing. I was at an impressionable age when that show was on. We used to... We used to <laughs> 47. <laughs>
I'm sitting right here, man. That was before the DVR. You realize half our audience has no idea what the hell we were just did. There. That's okay. That's yeah, all right. That's good. We're gonna Should we give away a free shirt if you know what we're talking about? If no, I, we'll give a free shirt if you're under 30 and you know what we're talking about. Okay. And you didn't get any help from grandpa or dad or okay. mom. Yeah. All right. Under 30. You got you got to be under 30. And uh, no help. Joe at Stacky Benjamin Stock. Drawing. Yeah, we'll do a drawing out of everybody that gets it. Yes, that's that's good. But anyway, so we had, did I ever talk about the squirrels that kept uh, living in our house? I knew about them because I talked to you every day for the last uh, decade. So yes, I know all about your squirrels. Yes. I don't, I don't know whether or not you publicly talked about it. I don't think I did, but we had that. When we first moved in, we found out that raccoons had, because we had a we had kind of a, a a strange house where there was a lot of ways to get underneath it for when we first moved in, and we sealed a lot of those off. But uh, so we had all kinds of animals, especially in the winter, that would move in, and our heating vents went underneath the house as well. So they, a raccoon, figured out how to click a lock on one of those heating vents and was in our heating vent and our cat when we first moved in went over to the vent and starts hissing straight down in it and uh cheryl goes over and points a flashlight down and all she sees are two eyes looking up at her and that's when we freaky it was it it was so freaky so we moved here to the big city and now everything's frozen and dead no i'm sitting here in mom's basement and it's a walkout basement. So I'm sitting here one day, everybody's gone home and I'm just editing the show. And I have this freaky feeling that somebody's staring at me, just this, this overwhelming, strange feeling that somebody is staring at me. And I look and at first I about jumped out of my chair and it was a deer standing right in the window, like up against the window, staring in the window at me. Like, hey, that heated basement looks looks good. How'd that venison taste? Oh, it was delicious. I love Mitchell Walker when we, the pouch plan guy, when I lived in Texas, always had had uh, uh, venison jerky that was so, so did you, good. So did you pull your Texas issued sidearm and <laughs> hit him right between the eyes? Immediately. Hang it up in, hang it up in the garage yeah, for Cheryl not, when yeah. she got home? And now we got to fix that window. Yeah, and and also figure out what to do with a rotting deer carcass in my garage. <laughs> right. yeah. Does anybody know how to butcher one of these things? Well, that one's easy. We we let you take it home and you throw it on Steak Brothers pillow. With just the head. Just the head on the pillow. Mm-hmm. That'd be hard. while I'm riding a horse in the middle of the night. <laughs> right. <laughs> in his bedroom. Uh, and then yelling freedom. <laughs> So I thought that was it. That was not it. Mom's neighbor, Doug, noticed. You'd already left. Mom's neighbor, Doug, noticed um, a little furry friend. I was here. Running around the basement. Were you here when he was running around the basement still? Yeah. 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 Did you get your cat on him? No, because we we don't let mom's cat in the basement because Doug's allergic to cats. Hmm. Which is cool because mom thinks that's awesome. Because then Doug really can't go upstairs where the cat is anymore. So she has like a like a wall of cat skins hanging 
right in the kitchen entrance. She, she's got cat dander. Like, she's like brushing it, right? <laughs> like it's it's vampire protection, Doug protection. Yeah. yeah, it works. Right. That and a can of peanuts or something, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, allergic mm-hmm. to nuts too. But that problem's gone. I don't think that problem's really gone because when there's one mouse, there's more. Hmm. However, the initial problem has been taken care of. You're so vicious. I'm a killer. I'm a I natu- bet you are. I'm a natural born mouse killer. <laughs> bet you are. <laughs> as long as it's safely done in a nondescript box somewhere with where I can't see it, little amounts of poison. Right. They can take back to their family and share with their children. And I have to call somebody else over to to get rid of it for me. Like having dad bait my hook. It's funny because I, I don't touch worms or fish. You don't? So, oh, God, no. <laughs> no way. In a million you're, years. You're a Marine and you won't touch fish. No. I mean, I've done it. I just really prefer not to. You don't have to, so, prove, you don't have to prove it again. So, uh, yeah, exactly. So when... Uh, we used to live in Michigan. My wife's family's got a place up north and we would go fishing. Her father and I would and my, you know, whoever else was up there, brother-in-law, my brother, whatever. And so finally I decided that I was going to, I bought a fish glove, which is like this Kevlar <laughs> <laughs> orange thing that goes down, down. It's like, it's like you can fight fires with it or you can touch fish. It's like one of the two. And uh, everybody made fun of me, but that was okay. Cause that's how I, you know, and then I just said, well, I'm just going to fish with lures from now on. So I don't have to touch worms. So that's easy. So, and I'm not very good at fishing. So I don't ever have to worry about catching that much fish because frankly, you know, it's not going to happen. And then we moved to Texas and I saw my out. I'm like, this is perfect. This is awesome. So we go back up North. We're getting a call. Hey man, we are, hey. we are, we're recording. Say hi, OG. What up, Dougie? Fresh? Oh, hey, OG. How are you? It's so good to be able to talk with you today. We, we are in the middle. Thank God, of, I didn't call you earlier today. We're in. I've the, had enough, Doug. We're we're month. in the we're in the middle of the dessert portion of the show, and so believe it or not, we were just talking about you and about how Mom got a cat so that you can't go upstairs and you <laughs> so that you can't go upstairs and and actually uh, talk to her. She loves that. You know, she loves that. That's funny. So it was a strategic move so she could fend me off. Mm-hmm. You never thought that was a strategic move? Uh, well, the fact that you've had the cat for like six years or something. No, I didn't think you were that forward looking to the one day. We're going to get a cat, Cheryl, because one day we might move back near Doug. I did not think that. Well, well, I hate to it's tell you. It's a long you, game, dude. Yeah, yeah. Mom is playing the long game. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yesterday, OG called me, which was fairly unusual. And I answered the phone and I said, my day just instantly got better. And uh, apparently I have, you know, my reputation precedes me. His response to that was, dude, are you ever not an asshole? <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> I'm like, what the heck? I'm trying to be nice, trying to say my day got better because OG called, and he immediately assumes I'm being a jerk about it. I think you're taking some liberties with the tonality there, but apparently not. I I think you took some liberties with the tonality there. That was painful. That made me rethink everything about my life. I kind of feel like he said, well, my day just got better. (laughs) 
Oh, good. Everything's great now that I'm talking to OG. It's about time. All right. This is why we need to turn on Do Not Disturb while we're recording right here. I know. Because of this scintillating radio when we let Doug back on the show. (laughs) You picked up the phone, man. Fantastic. Goodbye. Bye. And there you have it. I'll save my fish story for another day. No, finish it up. Oh, all right. Anyway, so when we moved to Texas, I saw my out. My out is, is that it costs so much to get a non-resident fishing license. Yeah. That now I don't ever have to deal with it. <laughs> hey, you want to go fishing? Oh, oh, man, I'd love to. But I those non-resident rates are like 400 bucks and... Yeah, I'm only going to be here for a week. That just seems like a waste. So now I'll pass. You guys go ahead. I'll sit here and, you know. When I was at, when I was at, I was about to say where I was, but I don't want people to check the box. I spent some time in Charleston, South Carolina. (laughs) Yeah, of course you did. And when I was 30 years ago. And when I was there, my cousin and her husband lived there. They said, hey, why don't you go off fishing with us on a Saturday morning? (laughs) No, no. No, I used to go fishing with my dad. We go at four o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. You couldn't say anything, which you've known me how long? I have to shut up for, you know, an hour. Because you'll scare the fish. Let alone five minutes. Yeah. And now I learned my dad just wanted me to shut up. Right. And so the only thing I look forward to was we go to this restaurant in downtown Vicksburg, Michigan called uh, Marjo's for breakfast. And I'd sit there with my pole in the water thinking about nothing except what I'm going to get for breakfast about pancakes. All I'm thinking about. So my cousin said, like, you want to go fishing Saturday morning? (laughs) No, I don't want to go fishing. No, no, I don't. And they said, Oh, why not? I told that story. They're like, we, we don't go for who goes at 4am. We'll pick you up about 1030. Oh, that's way better. But yeah, I'm really not that into fishing. Like, oh, just come. And we we go, we go, we immediately get out on the on Charleston Harbor, which is beautiful. My cousin's husband turns on the radio like full blast in the boat. And then he takes out a cutting board while my cousin's driving the boat and he's cutting up lime for the gin and tonics. For the fish. No, for the gin and tonics. By the time we get out there, it's 1130. I'm just getting hammered in a boat with music playing like this is a, where was this? I like fishing now. Yeah. This is the fishing that we should have been doing. Mm-hmm. Whole different world. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website. Resources like Best Cities After Service, 
to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.